0: Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I'm the staff pastor here at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. Thanks for joining me as we continue to go through the Come Follow Me Sunday School curriculum for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Not not going through the curriculum that they put out like the manuals or anything, but going along the schedule and adding a Bible Church pastor's thoughts to the mix. And right now we have entered into the Psalms. And so uh, the next three weeks, we're looking at at the Psalms. And for August 8th through the 14th, they have uh, on the schedule Psalms 1 and 2, 8, 19 through 33, 40, and 46. Well, um, what I'm going to do is just pick a couple that I like each week. I think we'll just look at two each week. And um, there are 150 Psalms. (laughs) So there's a lot to see, and uh, obviously covering three of those, um, or covering 150 of those in three weeks, rather, is an impossible task. So um, I'm just going to pick two per week. And today, I want to show you Psalm 22 and Psalm 32. Psalm 22 and Psalm 32. So let's just jump right in with uh, Psalm 22 and take a look. This is a psalm of David, and um, as many of the psalms are, he out of all the psalm writers he wrote the most, uh, Solomon has one or two, Moses only has one. Uh, there are some other people whose, um, whose names aren't very popular, but you come across them multiple times in the uh, psalms, like Asaph and others. Um, so anyway, this one's by David, and so is Psalm 32. And uh, it's important to remember as you go to the Psalms that David, though he was a king, he also had a function as a prophet. And maybe I'll go ahead and uh, bring that up right now, where Peter, the Apostle Peter in the New Testament, said that David was a prophet. Let's take a look. Acts chapter 2, this is the sermon on Pentecost, and uh, here it is. Peter says, brethren, verse 29, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. And that's actually from Psalm 16, which would be a great one uh, to look at. That's not one that uh, Latter day Saints are encouraged to look at for this year's curriculum, but Psalm 16 would be a great one to look at. It's a messianic psalm, it's about Jesus. Well, let's go back to Psalm 22, remembering that David was a prophet and looked ahead to Christ. And you'll see here at the top, it is a cry of anguish and a song of praise. A cry of anguish and a song of praise. And a lot of the psalm has to do with the anguish part. And uh, let's start at verse 11 and check it out. It says, Be not far from me, David crying out to God here, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of the earth. And we'll just stop right there. So um, David here is going through something. We don't know the specifics. We don't know all the details about what was happening in his life at this time. But it was obviously a time of great anguish. And he was surrounded by enemies. And he was physically suffering because of his enemies and because of the anguish that he felt. So he's crying out to God. And this is one of the reasons why most of us really, really like the Psalms is because you see just this very real, very, um, what's the word? Genuine, authentic, crying out to God, calling out to God from anguish. And uh, just you see real and raw emotion in the Psalms. And that's what we're seeing right here from David is he is just full of anxiety. He's... Um, under so much pressure, probably scared, and he's calling out to God. Now, as he's doing this, I want you to pick up on something in the the next few verses we're going to look at, as you think of David also functioning as a prophet. So he's a king who's suffering. (laughs) He's chosen by God, yet he's also suffering and going through great anguish. And at the same time, he's also prophesying. And I don't think it'll be hard at all for you to make these connections. But, but listen to this, Psalm 22, as we continue to read. Verse 16, For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Well, this is a messianic prophecy, isn't it? It's about Jesus. It's talking about being pierced through the hands and the feet, the clothing being stripped away, and, and they're casting lots for the clothing as they mock him, the one who is suffering. This really is about Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And, and really the, the piercing of the hands and the feet is particularly interesting because uh, this was written well before crucifixion was invented by the Romans. This was uh, written, you know, a thousand years or so before the time of Christ. And here he is describing how uh, a death by crucifixion would take place with being pierced through hands and feet. Now, you might wonder, really? Uh, How do we know that someone didn't just go back and, and throw that in there? Well, uh, actually, this is in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. That was put together a couple hundred years before the time of Christ. These were men who knew Hebrew and Greek, and they put it together not as Christians because Christ hadn't even come yet. That Christ's crucifixion hadn't even happened yet. And that's how they translated the passage. It's about being pierced through the hands and the feet. And this is an amazing look ahead to how the messiah would suffer and we have it right here in the old testament there's so many things like this in the old testament that speak to the coming christ well it isn't just a cry of anguish it's a um, also a song of joy a song of praise as we saw at the title and it says in verse 19 but you o lord be not far off o you my help hasten to my assistance deliver my soul from the sword My only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. Verse 24 For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. And that's, of course, always true for those who call upon the name of the Lord in faith. God is always going to answer, God is always going to be a help in time of need for those who trust in him. And we see that theme over and over and over again in the Psalms, but we also see interwoven these looks ahead toward Jesus and the church that he would build. So uh, just a pretty incredible Psalm, and that's just one snippet of one Psalm. And like I said, there are 150 Psalms, so there's a lot to see in this book. But uh, the only other thing I want to point out to you today not thing, I don't like using the word thing, the only other text, the only other psalm I want to point out to you today is Psalm 32. And in Psalm 32, we get kind of the same thing going on here, where it's not necessarily a messianic psalm, but it's one of those looks ahead to what's going to happen when Jesus comes. And so uh, Psalm 32, we see in the heading here that this is, again, a psalm of David, and the title is Blessed Forgiveness or blessedness, rather, of forgiveness and of trust in God. And I just want you to see and hear and absorb the first two verses of this. Psalm 32, verse 1. How blessed or happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered? How blessed or happy is is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit? Well, these are just two verses, so I, I want us to go slow and really consider what's happening here. So, verse one, we're talking about happiness. That's the word uh, blessedness. It also means happiness, coming from this event, transgression being forgiven. How blessed or how happy? is he whose transgression is forgiven. Now, transgression, of course, is just another word for sin. Perhaps there's different nuance with it, but the same idea, transgression and sin, rebellion against God, doing things wrong, not doing the things God has called you to do, and doing the things God has said don't do, transgression, sin. That's what that is. And here the psalmist, David, is pointing us to a happiness that can be had when such sin is forgiven. And the next little phrase here to round out verse 1 actually uses a different word. Instead of saying forgiven, it says, um, the man whose sin is covered. Whose sin is covered. Now that's very interesting. Um, what what could he mean by having sin that is covered? Um, well, it could mean a variety of things. And actually, I'm going to grab right next to me, I've got um, Derek, Derek Kidner, who is a great resource for uh, Psalms commentary. So Derek Kidner, if you can grab anything that he's written on Old Testament poetry, not just Psalms, but Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, um, he's got commentaries on those. Check that out. But uh, let's see what he says on on verse 1. It says, in case we overpress any one metaphor for atonement, two distinct pictures occupy verse one, lifting or removing, that's forgiven. And then here's what he says about covered, concealing from sight. The first of these corrects any idea that covered means hiding what is still present and unresolved, a notion which the same verb alludes to. 2 in verse 5. Okay, and we can look at verse 5 here in a moment. So you have this idea of sin being hidden with the covered thing. Uh, the cover. I said thing again. See, look how fallen I am. That which I don't want to do, I keep on doing, Romans 7. That was Paul's struggle. <laughs> when we think about sin being covered, sin is being hidden. But as Kidner points out here, the text isn't saying that we have this sin that exists, and God just puts a covering over it, and perhaps, you know, he puts a covering over it for a short amount of time because at any point he could pull that covering back and say, there's all your sin, it's still there, it's still accusing you, you're still guilty, you got problems. Well, the fact that before it says sin is covered, it says sin is forgiven, that gives us a different picture because sin being forgiven means to be taken away. Sin is taken away. Transgression is taken away. And so at the same time, we have this concealing or covering or hiding of sin and sin being dissolved and removed and truly, absolutely forgiven. Um, what then is that cover, <laughs> right? Because I, I think that's a natural response. You think, okay, if our sin's forgiven and truly taken away, then, then why are we covering it? Well, perhaps uh, the next verse will give us some insight. How blessed or happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Okay, now we're bringing in this idea of imputation. Now, that's a that's an interesting word. We don't use the word impute very often, but we know the word. It's going on to say that happiness is also the result for the man to whom the Lord does not impute or charge iniquity. Again, another word for sin and transgression. So sin is not being charged to this person's account, and therefore the person can be happy. Well, that covering then um, has to be something That applies to this happy man. Now now think about this. Is there ever a state in which you're totally neutral? When God removes your sin, does he just do that, and then now you're neutral for the rest of your life? You're not sinful, but you're also not righteous. You're just neutral. Uh, Think of it like with money. When God removes your debt, forgives your debt, does he just bring you up to zero and leave you at zero? Or does he cover your expenses, (laughs) to use cover in a different way in our vernacular, does he put money in your bank, does he fill you up beyond zero, or does he just bring you to zero? Well, a full understanding of the Bible and a full reading of the Bible will give us the idea that God actually imputes righteousness to those who he forgives not only does he take away the sin but he covers the sinner in righteousness and he gives the the sinner who's forgiven holy garments to wear that are a reflection of his very holiness as they then become holy ones that's actually what the word for saint means in the new testament you'll see that believers are called saints And that's a Greek word meaning the set-apart ones or the holy ones. And so God not only takes away the sin, but he covers the sinner in righteousness. That's amazing. And let's read down through verse 5, because then we have uh, that word for, for hide again, as Kidner pointed out. David says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now that is beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. I know I said we were just going to look at the first two verses, but how can you not read those? That is absolutely beautiful. You probably know what it's like to have a guilty conscience, to be plagued with guilt, to to just feel really weighed down knowing that you've done something wrong. Uh, Perhaps it's been a long time since you felt that way. Uh, Maybe when you were a kid and you knew that you broke something and blamed it on a sibling or you... Uh, did something you weren't supposed to do and try to cover your tracks so mom and dad wouldn't know. There's a, a heaviness that comes on our conscience at those times, isn't there? And we should, if we have healthy consciences, we should feel the weight of guilt when we've done something wrong and we've tried to conceal it. And David says, when I didn't confess my sins, I was wasting away. You were heavy on me. But then... He says, look, I'm not going to cover my sins. I'm going to lay my sins bare before the Lord. And what a risk that would be, right? Maybe you have this picture of God that if you were to do that with your sins, you think God would just going to crush you. He's going to pop your head off. He's going to smite you like you deserve. Well, David knew the nature, the character of the Lord, and he laid his sins bare before the Lord, and the result was instant forgiveness, instant forgiveness. Uh, covering of his sin with garments of righteousness, that not only was his sin forgiven, but he was totally accepted on the basis of God's righteousness. Not on his own merits, but on God's grace. Because of God's grace, he was accepted by God. Now, that's that's just beautiful. And that's not the only place where we get this idea, In fact, in uh, the New Testament, we get a little bit of commentary on this passage in Romans chapter 4, and I'll finish here. In Romans chapter 4, we'll just start at verse 4, it says, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Okay, there are things to see here, all right? This is the New Testament commentary on the Old Testament. First, David says we're talking about the one Who does not work? Does not work for what? Does not work for his own righteousness. Blessed is the man who does not work for his own righteousness, you could say, but instead believes in him who justifies the ungodly. That means makes the ungodly person innocent, not on the basis of works, but on the basis of believing, coming to God, not with our own works, trying to make ourselves godly so that God would accept us, but coming to God in our ungodliness, in our sin, believing that in that moment we will find forgiveness, that our guilt would be cleansed and washed away. When you come to God in that way, it says that that person's faith is credited as righteousness. This is that garment of righteousness, the covering, the imputation of righteousness that God gives. And he goes on to say, just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom, whoops, to whom God credits righteousness. Now you notice in our passage, it doesn't say God credits righteousness, but what's this covering? Well, the covering has to be a righteous covering that wraps the the sinner in God's righteousness, that covers all the sin that's been forgiven. It's God's righteousness. And this happens, Paul clarifies, apart from works. And he goes on to quote Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose sins have been covered. Covered by what? The righteousness of God. So that the result is... The sinner is no longer seen as a a sinner, an object of God's wrath. The sinner is no longer seen as what he is by nature. But instead, the sinner is seen as the very righteousness of God because his sins have been covered by the righteousness of God by faith alone, not by works, but by faith alone in God, in his work, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love. So there's a lot to see in the Psalms. A whole bunch to see, especially when you cross-reference into the New Testament. So for the next two episodes, we're going to be learning more about what the Psalms have to say, not only about the plight of man and the struggles of man, but of God's nature and our salvation. Thanks for joining.